0: You're listening to Compassion Radio. Honey, welcome back to the microphone. It's part three of a mini-series we're calling, What is God Doing? A New Thing. And for us at Compassion Radio, the past three years, especially, have been a lot of news and a whole lot of, let's try something different now because God's making it obvious to us it's time to change it up a bit. So we're going to revisit some more of those events in our lives over the past three years and talk about how our partners and the people we meet on the road continue to form us into the likeness of Christ, Mm -hmm. how they bend our needle compass towards that true north, which is what God's doing in this generation.
1: I think that God has used some of the events that we've been able to be a part of, some of the places in the world that we've been able to visit to profoundly impact the way we look at the kingdom. Now, we did talk about how Norm revolutionized this idea of the Christian activist and how he made it look so easy to do Well,
0: intrepid at least
1: intrepid but but how he he made it compelling by the way he lived his life and showed us by his example what it meant to actually show compassion and express compassion and live compassionately And I'm grateful for that. I'm really grateful for Norm's example in that and for shares as well as they navigated the changing of the ministry from what it had been to what it is now even more becoming.
0: And they were activists in their own lives and that they were committed to seeing God change them Mm -hmm. in the process. And he was at a big change in Christian culture as well.
1: I think that's a good point to make, though. They were committed to allowing God to change them. Mm-hmm. to being open to God's deep work inside of them to change their whole mindset and what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. I think that is something that we, as the new people in the chair here, as the people that now are the front of this ministry, can also be committed to. And in sharing that message with those who listen to our program, that it is a good thing to open your heart mm-hmm. to the work of God, knowing that, That it could bring you into partnership with suffering, Mm. with tragedy, with loss, but with deeply profound, life-changing beauty as well.
0: There's plenty of times when you sit with somebody who has lost somebody, where there's been a tragedy that's happened in their country that's driven them from their country, Mm -hmm. and you're sitting with them in a refugee camp to hear their story, where your first reaction, the one that only seems right, is... It's a deep and abiding sense of injustice happening Mm -hmm. in the lives of these people that are right in front of you. And you want to do something to fix it, to solve the problem that drove them from their countries. But you can't do a lot of that right in that moment because you can't fix the world's problems in five minutes. But we do know that unless we see what the truth is, we're never going to fix anything. We're not going to bring compassion forward. We're not going to see transformative solutions to situations in many countries or in something as simple as education or relief work. Unless you spend time there to see how it's working, how it's not working, mm-hmm. how it's working for the people that it's supposed to be serving, mm-hmm. and there's a lot we could be learning from and should be learning from the refugee community around the world, we're mm-hmm. going to get to some of that in today's program. We ended the last program talking about our first experience in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And it was only at that point, three years past their second revolution, which brought true democratic institutions and principles to their government for the very first time. And the people, especially those below the age of 60, were loving it. They felt like they were finally part of the world. But they also had this kind of dread hanging over all of them, that they had seen what the occupying forces and the collaborators can do to wound and try to destroy the spirit of a nation. Mm-hmm. It's not that long before that they were seriously traumatized, but what they had to see in their own streets and how many of their own friends had to die just for them to be a free nation. They were a baby nation at yeah. that point.
1: I think meeting with the people that we met while in Ukraine impacted me in a way that I, I didn't expect mm. just hearing their stories I mean, people that were younger than us that were very involved in the Maidan and in what happened there and in this revolution that were so willing to stand in the gap for their fellow countrymen and so willing to lay their lives down. Let's set
0: the stage again for our listeners, because, Mm -hmm. again, we're talking about a period of time we were there just three years after the second Maidan uprising. And the Maidan is kind of like being a Times Square for their nation. It's the downtown everything. Mm -hmm. It's the center of commerce, government and history. So all of the great monuments are there. And when they stood up in the Maidan as citizens and occupied the place saying, you will not take our country away from us again, they were facing down not just a dictator who was holed up in a building across the street. They were facing down snipers that Russia had already snuck into the country that were waiting for them. So that they lined all the major buildings all the way around the circle. About a half a mile cross shot across this huge plaza. And every once in a while, when they got tired of waiting around, they would just start picking off people. Mm -hmm. And still, the young people did not move. They did not leave. They knew that they could be next. And there were hundreds of them by the time the uprising had succeeded and they had driven out that government. Imagine if you are so committed to something that you're willing to sit in the square, knowing that there are probably three lines of sight from snipers aimed at your head. But what you're sitting for, you're standing for, what you're there for is worth your life. Mm -hmm. We don't think about that being something that would approach us personally as close as that. But for that entire country, when we were there, they all felt it. They all knew it.
1: Yeah. I don't know that I've ever experienced anything quite so profound in that sense of what it means to lay down your life for a friend. And we saw that in action. We saw the fruit of that, I should say, in action. We did. It was a beautiful thing to me, deeply disturbing, hugely impacting in my life. But It was beautiful. And everybody that we met
0: knew somebody who had died for their country in that one uprising. There's just hundreds of people. But the network of relationships in that capital city are so strong. Mm -hmm. If you are from Kyiv and you know where people live, you learn about them because you were the ones that stood for the entire nation Mm -hmm. during those two crises in 2004 and 2014. We stood where they stood and told the story from those spots and had them tell their story to us in the first person from the places where they personally faced down snipers. It was, to be very clear, not a political movement that changed things. Mm-hmm. The politics came later. What the Maidan uprising was, was a prayer uprising Yeah, where Christians from across the country said, our country won't survive any longer if we keep getting hammered like this. We have got to do something radical. We're going to have to start praying. Yeah. And when they came there, camping out in their own circles, their own churches, sitting down there and just singing songs and praying, knowing that there were snipers in that perimeter. And in doing that, they committed themselves to be in harm's way on behalf of their nation. Other groups started saying, well, if you're going to pray, and take that risk. We can't let them get away with that. We're going to go join them. <laughs> and pretty soon, Christian communities across Ukraine, which had not been in fellowship with each other or had even talked to each other in generations because the communists had completely separated them and made it a crime to talk to people of other denominations, they started finding each other and realized that they're long-lost brothers and sisters. This was the kingdom of God finding itself in the Maidan of Kiev. Mm-hmm. The kingdom came forward. and lay down their lives for their country. And the prayers were powerful.
1: I think this goes right along with the theme of doing a new thing, God doing a new thing. Seems like an old thing. We're just praying. We're praying about something. But the way these people came together... For the country of Ukraine, it was a new thing. Yes, it was a new work much. of God in joining their hearts and their common faith.
0: And the ultimate willingness to lay down your life for your brothers came when, for the first time in 1,500 years, a representative came out of the patriarchy of Kiev, which was Orthodox, and walked down the hill and stood on the stage with the Baptists mm-hmm. and with the Pentecostals Yeah. and prayed with them. And prayed over them and prayed together over their country. Things started tipping when those things started happening. And within three or four weeks of that initial rapprochement between the Christian communities of Ukraine, the government got shaky. And I can't help but think about those kind of scriptures that say, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then will I heal their land. I mean, those scriptures, (laughs) it surprises me every time I talk about this or we teach about it. Those scriptures are always directed at the faithful. And we in America assume that we're a faithful nation. So we pray those kind of prayers or speak those scriptures over us as a nation, as a political thing. This is not about a secular answer about how to bring peace to a nation. It's about how a nation benefits from the humility and the willingness to suffer that happens within his body. His kingdom that happens to live within the borders of that nation. Mm-hmm. If the nation's going to benefit, in the case of Ukraine, to even be established, it happened because people of faith said, My people have been under burden, have been subjugated too long. Mm-hmm. We have got to do something to see a better future for them and for us.
1: Well, there was a deep sense of humility in all of the people that we met who were involved, and it was life-changing for me, for sure. And that brought us to a place of being willing and more open. I think we were willing because we love to travel.
0: Of course. But and we trust our friends. If something's happening here you need to see, we say, okay, yeah, we'll to see it.
1: For me, anyway, and you can speak to your own experience, but for me, it gave me a sense of God is calling me to see some deeper things that might be scary and might change my perspective on things. And I always thought of myself as an open person about <laughs> things, yeah. but that trip, especially in 2017, was a real pivotal point for me. For us as a couple, for us as a family, in our perspective of what our ministry would go forward looking
0: like and who we'd be willing to work with and where yeah something that we've learned together and that we've kind of tried to, in different ways to present through this radio broadcast is a shift of ethic which mm-hmm. is the prime thing you'll do when it comes down to the most important things how you do something the reasons you do them and how you'll go about accomplishing those things are your ethic mm-hmm. business has ethics we, we teach them saying if you're going to be a business this is what's required of you morally sociologically and employee to labor relations, all those kind of things. There are things you must do in order for it to be ethical. And so we teach those things of business. We say the same thing about governments. Governments should be operating ethically. There should be a set of rules that apply to everybody all times, no matter what. And that same thing is true of the rule of law. But we don't often talk about how God has an ethic to for the kingdom. And that living within this kingdom requires us to be submitting to a code of ethics that God defines. What I mean by that is that there's not a long list of social issues that Christians always vote on that God's concerned about. What he does call us to every time is, if you are given opportunity to step in and serve others as a kingdom member, as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and be within your society an agent of change that's positive, how do you go about it? What are the rules of the game if you're going to step into the middle of it? And not many churches that I know in the West really teach ethics. If you were given these opportunities, how shall we act? If we are not given these opportunities, how shall we respond? The hows is about ethics. And the world is going to see us and see the validity of our arguments, the validity of our faith, of our word, the things we're willing to lay down our lives as either being crystal clear and understandable, maybe not in alignment with my values, but they're there and I can see what they are. Or they're going to look at us and say, what a steaming pile of hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. They say they believe these things, but they act exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that this generation is suffering the consequences of us being willing to pursue temporal power more than pursuing obedience and humility and willingness to follow Christ into the thick of things. Mm -hmm. Again, the ethics are about the how, not the whole things you choose to do. Some parachurch ministries are really good at tackling certain kinds of needs, like refugee relief, like many organizations that people have given to, like Compassion International or World Vision, or even some of the smaller refugee projects that we've done. Other organizations or denominations can focus on quality teaching and making sure that the Word of God is well-represented and understandable so those are all the what's of the things we can do in the church or in parish church ministries. But again, for all of us in the kingdom, if we say we follow Jesus Christ, ethics comes down to the how we go about doing the thing that we really, truly believe God has called us to do within the kingdom. I want to ask you, honey, now we can make a pivot. There are many other crises that you and I have stepped into almost unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And often those have to do with the impromptu refugee camps that seem to be popping up all over the world that happen to be in the countries where you and I have visited. Mm-hmm. And that is really strange for me that there's so much refugee population that's on the move. or stuck in corners of fields all across the world, especially in the 1040 window. Mm -hmm. But we've seen it. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. Of course, there's nothing normal about our situation. But there's also nothing normal about the kind of faith and power we find in Jesus. And we have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com. Or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box seven seven one six zero corona california 92877 reach out to us whatever way works for you and now back to our discussion but again for all of us in the kingdom if we say we follow jesus christ ethics comes down to the how we go about doing the thing that we really truly believe god has called us to do within the kingdom i want to ask you honey Now we can make a pivot. There are many other crises that you and I have stepped into almost unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And often those have to do with the impromptu refugee camps that seem to be popping up all over the world that happen to be in the countries where you and I have visited. Mm -hmm. And that is really strange for me that there's so much refugee population that's on the move. or stuck in corners of fields all across the world, especially in the 1040 window. Mm -hmm. But we've seen it. So I want to ask you about any experiences you had, honey, going to some of these refugee camps that changed perspective for you.
1: Well, it would have to be for me in 2018 when I went to Lebanon with a group of women, One Million Thumbprints, and we went there primarily to highlight the plight of women in refugee camps, mostly coming out of Syria, and some Palestinian women as well. I think the impact that it had on me was meeting women just like me.
0: Mm. How do you mean?
1: Women that were deeply committed to their families, who loved their children fiercely, and who wanted the best for them? Women who would do whatever they could to help provide for their families and to keep them safe. Women who had given up their lives, basically, to flee from danger, to flee from conflict, to protect their children, to keep their children from being co-opted into these armies and fighting factions that they didn't believe in, that, that were really slaughtering their own people. And seeing them making a home... Out of literally nothing. It impacted me in such a way that I probably am still unpacking after all of these years. Well,
0: especially with that culture coming out of Syria and other parts of the Middle East, these refugees were fleeing from. There'll be a people group that is primary that has been chased out of something by some other force, stealing land from each other. And in the midst of all those people, somewhere in the corner, there's going to be Christians. Mm -hmm. Somehow they always get picked on as well and get grouped in with all the others every single time. I've not seen one refugee camp we've gone to in the world where there hasn't been some Christians in the mix that were chased out by somebody. They're the least of the least in the refugee crowd based upon the attitudes politically of those who believe somehow that the Christians are complicit with the West and want to bring this destruction on their country. And so they're often picked on by other refugees, and yet they come to these refugee camps and start serving more. And I know that you and your million thumbprints ladies had a much better opportunity to actually sit down and hear the stories from the women because you were women. It wouldn't have been appropriate for me to be insisting to have tea with women refugees while the men were separate from them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But you did. So take me inside the tent. When you sit down on these beautiful rugs that they've managed to roll up and stick in their backpacks so they have some place to offer hospitality Mm -hmm. later, Mm -hmm. what
1: was it like? One of the things that I noticed right off the bat was how clean it was. Mm. You know, you go into this tent community and it's dusty and muddy in some places it's a corner of a field really like you said earlier you don't know what you're going into you think I wonder this is like a slum what is it going to be like but it was so warm and welcoming mm-hmm. the rugs were swept clean mm-hmm. the children were clean the house was clean it, it was just a, a beautiful expression of what they cared about yeah. you know and we were offered the best seats in the house, the best pillows to sit on, the best place where if there was a fan blowing that we could be cool. All of these things that were the true marks of hospitality right. and offered tea in these beautiful cups that they had either somehow acquired after they had gotten to Lebanon or they had brought with them. And I think probably some of them had stuck them in their bags, like you said, with the rugs and brought them out because they were family heirlooms.
0: Pictures you show me of those goblets. Yeah. They remind me of the golden cup that was planted by Joseph on his brothers leaving Egypt. There's something precious about this heirloom. Mm -hmm. It is literally their safety economically. If They had to part with something at the very end. Mm -hmm. They were completely out of money. They could literally melt these things down for the silver and gold that was within them or take the stones out Mm -hmm. if necessary. But it also represents everything that they are as a people. They don't want to lose that.
1: Well, it's a big part of their culture to offer hospitality and the finest things they have. Yeah, Oftentimes, we knew that we were getting the last bit of tea that they had in the house, that we were honored guests in that way. And the openness with which they share their stories and the willingness to bring us into their lives into their suffering it was a gift to see that even though they had suffered deeply they had lost everything yeah they wanted to share with us they wanted to offer us gifts they wanted to give us things that that they had in their home and
0: so you learn not to admire things
1: yeah and it, it was a beautiful time seeing these women who were many of them the same ages as our daughters who also were on that trip in their early 20s, -hmm. living this life that was full of sorrow. Mm -hmm. Young mothers that had been sent away by their families, that some had remained in Syria, sent away to safety with another family who they had betrothed their daughter to, oftentimes someone that she didn't even know family-wise, how they were making a life, investing themselves into this life, offering hospitality to complete strangers. It, It was a beautiful thing. We can learn so much yeah. from the hospitality of refugees. They're willing to welcome us into their tent, into their home in a refugee camp. This is going to sound like a political statement, I know, but it makes me feel like we need to learn from them how to welcome people into our own homes.
0: And not just for payback, like we owe the people the world something. We no. do, I think, but, it, yeah, but that's the not ethic the point. we're talking about. Yeah. How do we go about living out our faith? Sometimes the most important thing we can do when we are in a place where we don't know what to do next is to accept hospitality Mm -hmm. and to do it gratefully with great kindness and acceptance of gratitude. Mm -hmm. If we don't show gratitude and we're unwilling to, all we're revealing is our pride. Mm -hmm. These people have lost everything materially. They've lost their homes. They may have lost their villages or their families back in Syria or in Iraq or in the Kurdish territories, but they haven't lost their soul. Mm -hmm. They are there to be somebody and to be means to serve in so many cultures. Mm -hmm. And so when you're able to actually do that with your last bit of tea, the last oil in your bottle, the last flour in your cupboard, and you do something. But we have also seen that God somehow multiplies those gifts and has blessed people who give when they have nothing. There are so many scriptures around this that are living examples of that. Yeah. And another example I want to hang my hat on this one today, and we'll come back to it tomorrow, is the story of Ruth. We don't often think about Ruth as being a refugee. Oh, yeah. But she and Naomi, her mother-in-law, definitely were. Pestilence, famine, all kinds of military problems in the country where they were living, chase them out. They are the living embodiment in scripture of the people you got to see sitting on rugs in refugee camps in the Bekah Valley. Right. Our scripture is built upon the experience of refugees, mm-hmm. including Jesus. Yeah. And that's where I think we're going to hang up our phone for today. We'll have one more program in the series where we'll be talking about how Compassion Radio has been transformed by their experiences with the people that God has brought to us or brought us to. In the world, in just the last three or four years. We're so glad you're with us and thanks so much for your support of this ministry and making it possible for us to continue pursuing God's story in this generation. Your spirit lives within me, so I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within my victory. We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Or give online at CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.